Hi guys, welcome and welcome back to another podcast. Uh, welcome back to I'm Me to Watch That. I am your host, Monica, and I'm joined once again with our wonderful co-host, Glenn. Say hi, Glenn. Hi, guys. How are y'all doing? Hi. Guys, today is another week, another pod, and this week we're going to talk about some true crime documentaries. I kind of like the true crime do- uh, genre itself, you know, what we think about it, where it's going, how it got so popular, you know, all that fun stuff. But before we get to that, we are going to be talking about Can't Wait to Watch, where we're going to sit down and talk about things that we cannot wait to watch that are going to be coming out soon. And I think one thing that I can't wait to watch that's a little bit related to like the true crime genre. I don't think I talked about this last week, but there's a new Hulu documentary about Elizabeth Holmes coming out. Not documentary, but like kind of like series a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's similar to the one that Joey King did with um, that young girl who was like, yeah, who had Munchausen's, Mm -hmm. you know? Her mom had much husbands, yeah. Uh, it's similar to that. And it stars Amanda Seyfried. It is about Elizabeth Holmes. And it's basically just like about her rise to power and how this woman got to be so well known. And she pretended to be a scientist and she lied and she scammed the whole world. And yeah, I'm excited to watch it because I love Amanda Seyfried. I really do hope it's going to be like really good. And I hope she at least gets like a Critics Choice Award out of it, or, like a Golden Globe out of it, because Amanda Seyfried is a really great actress. And it's really cool to see her like tr- dipping her toe into like something a little more serious, you know? And it is relevant because I think the lady went to jail, I don't know, recently or something like that. But um, I'm interested to watch it, even though I've seen every single video on Elizabeth Holmes ever made. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll have someone tell me the story once again. I'll have someone tell me again. Like, I don't <laughs> care. I don't know. You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah glenn what can what is something you can't wait to watch uh kimmy uh oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it, it just, just came, came out. out it came out yeah. like this weekend or whatever um so excited so it's also zoe Kravitz is going to be in her bag mm. because we have kimmy and like two weeks we have the batman and it doesn't matter i don't care if zoe Kravitz has less than 30 seconds of screen time in the batman she will be the saving grace of that film that is the end of the story I, there's no argument there. And she also recently did an interview. I don't remember which magazine, but I do remember the picture was her with like no makeup and bold eyebrows. And I love that look for any photo shoot, any person, like no makeup, bold eyebrows. It works every single time. And mm. I stand. So if I can find the interview or if like you find it, you should definitely read it. It's pretty good. I think the title of the article is basically like, Zoe Kravitz has stopped reading the comments. And that makes sense because... We love that for her, you know. She's wonderful. I love Zoe Kravitz. She's really great. Yeah, iconic. And oh, I'm also excited for um, Inventing Anna. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix now. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think it just recently came out. I've been seeing it lately because I've been watching. um, I've been watching a a hospital playlist, which is like my wholesome uh, K drama that I like to watch okay so i saw it it popped up for me on the homepage, and i was like oh that's interesting i think i might check it out because i'm pretty sure it stars the girl from ozark the blonde girl um julia garner i think so i think so i think she plays anna delby delby mm-hmm. yeah and i think the show is also produced by shonda rhimes 
I think it's one of her shows that she's producing because she has a huge Netflix deal. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She's an executive producer. Yeah, so I'm really excited to watch it and check it out. Also excited to watch The Tinder Swindler. Oh, yeah, I need to watch. I haven't watched that yet either. Mm-hmm. My friends I, say it's really good, though, so. Mm-hmm. I like I like documentaries that are about, like, nature and murder, you know? Like, give me something a little different, you know what I mean? So I'm excited to see what that's about. I'm interested in seeing how these women got swindled by this one guy. Like, I don't know, like men men are trashed and like dating apps are also like a hot garbage fire obviously Period. but i just want to know because sometimes i watch those sometimes i watch documentaries where people get scammed and i'm just listening and i'm watching and i'm listening to their stories and i'm like mm, I so you deserve don't... to get scammed <laughs> no i'm not saying that I'm no saying but that's that, exactly like, what you said no that's what i'm saying don't put words around don't put words around what i'm saying is that if we thought about this a little, like, if we took some time to think about it, mm. if we no, don't be screenshot, keep talking. No, <laughs> if we screenshot the messages and sent them to a friend of ours, <laughs> if we like, maybe like, you know, put our thinking caps on for a little bit, it was like, <laughs> hmm, maybe this guy isn't all of that. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. don't give somebody over the internet money. Like, y'all, me, y'all tough. For three days and then you're like give me the don't do that give me the money <laughs> don't, don't give people money don't do that yeah yeah more of the story never give people money yeah be never careful give people money. be careful with people on the internet you don't know them you don't know their intentions yes but i i say that because i think that kind of ties into the documentary that i watched for the pod because mm-hmm. um i believe we said it on the podcast last week that we were going to do euphoria yeah but it hasn't ended yet it ends mm-hmm. next sunday so we're just gonna do wait till next week yeah. to talk about euphoria and this week we're gonna talk about like true crime documentaries and i think that the tinder swindler kind of ties into a documentary i watched which is a documentary i've been meaning to watch for a while it's called the murder among mormons or okay. murder among the mormons it was mm-hmm. really good i've heard of it i haven't yeah. watched it <laughs> Uh, yeah, but um, before I like dive into specifically that documentary, I do want to talk about true crime and kind of like its rise to prominence and how it's kind of like taken over mm-hmm. uh, people's fascinations. Because a lot of people are really into true crime, whether it's the documentaries you see on Netflix that are like well polished and well done, or like TV shows like Mindhunter. And, you know, there's also like true crime YouTubers that talk about true crime cases whether they're analyzing them and like talking about them like js jcs psychology mm-hmm. or they're doing mukbangs or they're doing um beauty tutorials kind of like bailey siren and kendall ray is more of like the history side of it explaining the cases um glenn what do you think about true crime like do you watch it a lot how do you feel about it so i don't watch it a ton I'm, I'm only saying that because I know that people who actually watch it a ton would not consider me, like true, true crime fans would not mm-hmm. consider me a true crime fan because true crime fans are dedicated. And I mean that in the best way possible. It's a, it's a tight knit fan group. Anyways, um, but I do watch a decent amount of true crime, either documentaries, I listen to podcasts. There are a few different, I don't like go out and like specifically hunt out YouTubers to watch true crime um, YouTube videos. But I do have a couple of YouTubers that I watch that do true crime videos, like, uh, like um, uh, Eleanor 
Eleanor Noel and Haley Elizabeth, those are two that like I watch pretty regularly, um, that I'm known mm -hmm. for their true crime content. Um, and I like it. I like it. I I think I like it because I like the the mystery of it. I like that it's well, like mainly I like just being told a good story. Like usually true crime, especially popular true crime stories, are like they got popular because they were either weird stories or something about them like was never solved and never fully made sense. Or like they're just for some reason like this happened and it makes a really good story. Um, I'm just like attracted to really good stories in general. And the fact that like it's real kind of like, you know, it adds like an extra layer of like, oh, like it's another little like shiver down your spine. Mm -hmm. I think that's very true. Like people like true crime because it's storytelling. You know, people like to be told a story and they like it when it's like compelling or interesting, which is the reason why a lot of people like true crime podcasts, you know, and, you know, you find the most true crime fans are women and it also gives you a sense of like being prepared in a way, like you listen to true crime, you watch these videos and you're like, okay, the killer did this, killer did that. And like me, like I, you know, I know that when I'm walking to my car to make sure to look behind me, if someone's following me have my keys in my hand, unlock the door, close the door behind me, don't have the door open too long, lock the doors and be sure to like have my seatbelt on, keys in ignition, ready to go mm -hmm. in case someone tries to like bang on my door. And like, I check my back seat before I get in the car, make sure no one's like in there waiting for me, no one's stuck into my car mm -hmm. and you know, all that kind of stuff. And that comes from the fascination I have with true crime and watching the genre, you know? And people also like to watch it because there's that, sense of like oh oh god it's not me you know yeah, mm -hmm. in, in, and it's in the way of like the victim and the perpetrator where people are glad that like i'm glad i'm not the one that's like found on the side of the highway but also i'm glad i didn't do it because when you when you watch like i watch that chapter which is a pretty good true kind channel that talks about like different cases and he's very interesting he does a good job of like putting together the cases and talking about it and when you watch it a lot of the times the people are people that you know it's over like money or love you know mm -hmm. and a lot of the times the killings are either like spontaneous or they're planned but it didn't get planned in the right way yeah you know what i'm saying yeah and all those things kind of like feed into it and people love a mystery mm -hmm. people like connecting the dots people to love things, it. and they love a mystery yes people love solving things i feel like they could be like true crime detectives and it's normal to like true crime but it gets to a certain point where like if you have newspaper clippings in your room and you're like i don't know buying like i don't know like buying like detective supplies it gets to a point where, like, like, <laughs> no, 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 go ahead name the detective supplies like if you're getting a fingerprinting <laughs> kit or, like a blood testing kit it's kind of like mm -hmm. all right let's uh take a step back yeah let's reassess yeah uh, what was the documentary that you watched? Um, I watched the documentary Amanda Knox, which um, you said you also have watched. Um, and like, yeah. it's not exactly true crime. It's much more documentary based than it is true crime based. Mm -hmm. I would say it feels distinctly different from things that are like mm -hmm. pure true crime. Um, especially because like they actually had the the suspected killer and like the boyfriend were like, like they were interviewees because like they like spoilers for like 2007 
2010, mm-hmm. um, they walked free. Like, they they w- ended up not being convicted. It was kind of a long process. But, um, you know, they're walking around freely today. The documentary came out in, like, 2016. And, like, they had the people who were, like, being investigated during, like, the crime. Like, as, like, speakers. Um, like, uh, I forget what it's called. But, like, as interview, interview. Um, people who were being interviewed uh, while they were collecting everything for the documentary. Um, and I think part of the reason why I chose it and part of the reason why it's interesting is because I know that, like, it's not the right thing to say, but it is a true thing to say. There's something so exciting about a female killer. Like, because, like, historically, it's usually, um, like, it's usually men who are doing, like, uh, things of, like, murder or things of, like, uh, sexual assault or, like, these terrible, horrible disgusting crimes and even though amanda was like cleared of all charges just like there's something about like a female serial killer a female murderer that like it's different it spices things up um it's definitely morbid but it is exciting it's very exciting Mm -hmm. to see um yeah yeah definitely i think that a lot of times um female killers are interesting because they are very few and far in between and a lot of female killers like have a pretty good reason as to why they are mm-hmm. female killers and it kind of ties into like uh a, a discussion of like domestic abuse and violence mm-hmm. and how like a lot of times people blame women for like staying in relationships or like why don't you fight back and people don't talk enough about how like men are perpetrators and how like men should be taught how to do it and oftentimes those cases do lead into very sad circumstances but when women do fight back or like you know stop these men from doing it permanently they end up in jail mm-hmm. and there are plenty of women and there are also women in jail who have taken the fall for a man and these men never write these women they never visit them but the men in prison always get letters and always get visited by women uh. when they are convicted of something wrong and so it's interesting to like focus on women kind of taking revenge and like taking that power back because a lot of times murderers are men and they are romanticized like Jeffrey Dahmer and um the don't say stalker. it don't say it don't say his name just like these terrible men that like do terrible things and people have a fascination with them to the point where they will like make movies about their childhood do we do we wait do we want to talk about no we don't want to talk about but do we want to bring up the fact that ted bundy got a movie and Mm. he was played by By zach Zach efron why did you cast one of the sexiest men at that time to play ted bundy and then he went off and did his little himbo nature show who was in the writer room who was in the director's room who was in the executive producer's room they decided hey you know this terrible um murderer who everyone has heard of at least knows a little bit of that was absolutely disgusting and murdered several women let's not only make a movie about him but let's cast someone hot to play him it if it's got to be ted bundy it has to be someone hot mr 17 again why would you do this to us mr troy bolton himself I, I I love Zach Efron. Like I really do. I was gonna say, here's the little, thing. I love Zach yeah. Efron too. He he seems like a pretty like all around like a grounded celebrity. He seems mm-hmm. to have like a good sense of humor. Most yeah. of his movies I enjoy. Um, the only problem is why? Why why yeah, a sexy why? Ted Bundy? No, I want you to explain that because when 
when like the fan fiction community, when the true crime community starts romanticizing um, certain characters or certain murderers or things like that, we're considered weird, we're considered disgusting, we're considered like having mental illnesses. Yeah, it's you wrong ca- to think that Loki is hot. Yeah, but when you cast one of the sexiest men in America mm-hmm. to play one of the most famous serial killers in the world, that's okay. That's money moves. It's not smart. It's not. And it really does like, it's really just gross. It's kind of icky how people are like so quick to like try and understand like why would these men do these things? Like there's a strange fascination that people have behind men who are terrible human beings and do horrible things. Why can't and, like, people just be terrible? Not... Why yeah. can't people just do a bad thing because they they want it to and they are a bad person? If you find yourself empathizing with somebody who stalked and murdered several women and was caught at one point and then let go, if you find yourself wanting to empathize with this person or figure out what's going on with them, I am seriously concerned for you or whatever the heck is going on, what kind of people that you surround yourself with. I'm concerned not only from like a joking, like half joking kind of standpoint here, Mm -hmm. but like if that's the type of people that you sympathize with and you have no connection to them whatsoever, you literally just like heard a story from them, I mean Mm her story about them, then that says a lot about like the type of people that like you might get into a relationship with or like the type of like treatment that you might be comfortable with like at that point you are almost becoming a danger to your own self because you because like realistically if you're okay with that you can justify that it's much more likely that you could justify something similar to that happening to you yes and i think that like a lot of times with true crime people are so fascinated in the story of it all that they forget like this this is this is real this is real like this This isn't a good story this isn't isn't just a a good story Mm -hmm. this is like this is not fiction this is true this is true crime like this happened to somebody and people are still being affected by it today like there are plenty of young children that have to live with the fact that their parents did horrible things and their names are just attached to it like there is a house in los angeles where the ramirez brothers lived they were like the brothers that were yeah and there are people who live in that house you know and i'm sure that like they get people walking outside of their apartment and like okay i have to tell you this story okay because this is kind of i'm i'm allowed to tell the story so i used to work for a true crime streamer uh she streamed on twitch and one night she revealed to us that she knew where the Ramirez brothers' house was. And everybody in the, co- in the chat, I was a moderator at the time. And like everyone in the chat was like, you should go, you should go, you should go. She's like, I don't know if I want to go because what if I get like, what if they see me? What if I get like shot or something? And then they're like, no, you should go, you should go. Everyone in the chat was hyping her up, hyping her up. She's like, okay, pulls out her phone, goes to CVS, buys a huge flashlight, right? Gets snacks, starts streaming in her car as she is driving to the Ramirez house and she shows up to the Ramirez house and she is live streaming while she's there. And we're all just watching her do this. And it wasn't until I stopped working for her, I would look back and I was like, that, she probably should have done that. Yeah, that wasn't, no. that wasn't a great idea. No, cause like you went to somebody's house. Like I understand like 
there was a certain like she always made sure that like we were never glorifying serial killers in any kind of way or romanticizing them she would always like stress the fact it was like screw ted bundy screw richard ramirez the night stalker screw them they're terrible people screw them and she would always be clear in her chat and in her discord that like she doesn't want any kind of talk you know lifting these men up because they're terrible and she wants to study like the history behind the cases and everything but to go to a house where two murderers live is crossing a boundary of someone else's privacy and respect because i'm sure the people who live in that house know who used to live there before and they just want to live their life and they don't want random strangers popping up in front of their lawn just like recording it because that's weird you know and like after it she kind of felt weird after the fact but it was still like the fact that she did it is like why you know it's like oh girl that's not a good look just getting a little bit too wrapped up in the story wrapped up in the in the yeah. fantasy of it all i guess yeah definitely yeah and i think I that's kind of like people need to draw a line when it comes to true crime like people need to like kind of learn that like you can be interested in like what happened and like how it's like oh my gosh this is crazy that this happened here mm-hmm. but you can't go to like finding these people's instagrams or finding these people's social media account or finding out where they could possibly like these are real life people that live the lives that we live we're all on social media our mm-hmm. information is out there it can be found you know where people used to work is impossible to find and you can also find these people's relatives on social media too probably and one thing that would be completely inappropriate to do would be trying to message people being like, oh my gosh, was your sister killed by this guy? It's like, no, like, yeah, but like, obviously I don't, don't want to talk about it with you because I don't know who you are. You know, some random person has a fascination with my sister's death. Exactly, you know what I mean? like, no, no. I, like, I don't know anybody who's ever done that, but there are people on the internet who do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times, um, true crime fans, there are true crime fans that know how to like, be interested in psychology interested in interrogations and like finding evidence and like watching like killer interrogations and like interviews with the killer and things like that and then there are some true crime fans that want to play detectives themselves yeah you know and that's what like if you want to play detective you, you can run you, you can get hunt a killer which is like a subscription oh service where you can solve i was gonna say if you i was gonna say if you, gonna if, you want, if you want to be a detective you can go to school like you could become a forensic scientist if you want it like if that's what you really want if that's your passion if that's what's calling you go ahead it's a real job if yeah. you're if you're so good at it and you're so passionate about it put it to good use let me ask you a question do you think that true crime counts as propaganda no and hmm. here's why i feel like propaganda we've talked about i'm not sure if it was on the podcast we're going to say it was on the podcast We've talked okay. about the wave of propaganda that went on in the early 2000s. Hmm. Like you could list, if you list off every single show that was on like television from like what, like 2001 to like 2012, I guarantee you every three titles that you say was a cop, cop show, cop movie, cop something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and because maybe just because that was such an extreme version of propaganda, I I don't think that true crime would qualify because whereas propaganda specifically, like at least in my opinion, exists to like promote the idea that police are 
inherently good, that they are servants of the people, that they are like bringing justice, mm-hmm. cleaning the streets, whatever, whatever term you want to use. Um, that's what propaganda does. It's supposed to reinforce the idea that the police are on our side, always have our back, are amazing, wonderful, great, infallible people, and are getting rid of disgusting criminals who are making our neighborhoods unsafe. Versus true crime yeah. doesn't really focus on the detectives or the police or the anything at all. Like I could listen to, like if I'm watching like a propaganda TV series, like I'm supposed to be invested in like the main characters who are like police officers. Like you're supposed to like know their names, know their relationships, like maybe there's some work office drama, blah, blah, blah. Especially if it's like a scripted show. Like it's like a like an actual like TV show, not like a reality show. Like there's some sort of investment there. But like mm-hmm. with a true crime documentary, like one, it focuses on the criminals a lot more. Two, you could remove the names of every single detective, every single police officer, every single person of law enforcement that was involved in that specific case, and you wouldn't lose any of the story. Yeah. So I feel like true crime focuses on the criminal and the actions and like they like someone might say, um, and then when the detectives notice that the blood was also in the bathroom, that's when they got the idea. But they would say like the detectives, they want to say like when detective like Banks and detective Smith and detective um, Rogers, who, as you know, had been best friends since high school and detective Rogers was actually married to like blah, blah, blah. Like we don't know anything about the detectives. We might not even know their names. They're just the detectives. They're just the police. They're just the investigators, just like an entity. And I'm, so I wouldn't say it's propaganda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, actually, propaganda is like, propaganda is a bit different from true crime. I think in some cases it does serve as propaganda. I guess but it could. Overall, it definitely it could. Yeah, I think in certain cases it does. I don't have those cases like off the top of my head but you are right that like shows like law and order or um shows like like all law and order shows uh i guess blue bloods Mm -hmm. bones even like brooklyn 99 Mm -hmm. that serves as like these portrayals are meant to shape the public perception that cops are good cops are instrumental in lowering crimes that you know society is created like we need cops to protect us Mm -hmm. and you know on tv cops they break the law when they have to and they break the law to solve crimes Mm -hmm. and you see them commit police brutality on tv shows but it's only when they have to like they talk about how there's a thin blue line keeping society together and you know they don't have to cross that thin blue line but the arrests that you see on television are pale in comparison to like arrest in real life. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, like, I don't think people realize this, but more than not, cops do commit police brutality very often. And there have been studies that shown a lot of cops are like domestic abusers. A lot of cops do deal with like mental health issues, but that's because their um, resources are seriously underfunded because they put that money towards riot gear and tanks that they don't really need when you could put that towards, um, you know, like something better. And the NYPD spends so much money on wrongful arrests or lawsuits against the police every single year. Like so much money. Like in Valdessa, in Valdessa, 
I believe in Valdosta, Georgia, uh, the police arrested the wrong suspect and broke his arm. And then he got $700,000 in a lawsuit. And it really is like a huge problem, like cause of a huge problem with like sex trafficking. There have been the infiltration of uh, white supremacists in police precincts as well. And that's not covering propaganda, you know, but when you look at true crime, a lot of cases, cops are kind of useless. Like mm. they don't know what they're doing. They're not listening to the victims. They're mm. not looking at the evidence. Mm-mm. And it's very clear. If you watch a true crime, you automatically think it's the wife or it's the husband or it's the jealous ex or something of that nature if it's in the family. You know what And I mean? maybe if the police and the detectives and the investigators also watch true crime, mm. they would start picking up because yeah. like we, like the, the true crime community, Mm-hmm. picks it like so like you mentioned some of us think that we actually could be detectives which we're wrong to think that but some of us actually think we could be detectives because we've watched so much and we've gathered so much information and like we've learned so much about like how people think stuff like that blah 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 so imagine what could be done if someone who was actually in a position of power started paying attention to past cases mm-hmm. imagine if someone who had yeah. the tools to actually go out and solve the case paid at least even a smidge of attention to what people did in the past and what people did wrong in the past. And be like, okay, so this person did this wrong here. So I feel like that should probably not be my first move. How about we look over here instead? Yeah, you know, I'm not one to like police the police. It is like, screw the police over here. Cause like, yeah. you know, yeah, <laughs> like, obviously. Yeah. But like, I think that there can be, a, there's a lot that can be fixed. I guess in police precincts. Yeah, my point with that was less like yeah. police and the police, and more like if you spent half as half of the amount of energy that you spend judging other people, learning mm-hmm. from them, then everyone's jobs would be easier here. Yeah, I think there was a case. I don't know the specifics that I remember, but there was a group that went to police precinct to try and change the way that they handled like um sexual assault cases Mm -hmm. because the way that the current police learned was from the past police officers yeah Mm -hmm. and obviously they were sexist and they didn't listen to women and a lot of these cases were dismissed or rape kids weren't really like taken seriously or like take well taken care of or well refrigerated so these women went into the precinct to teach them like you need to do this you need to talk to them like that and like it helped it really did help like campus um you know, sexual assault cases mm-hmm. come in and like actually be solved. I think that I, to your point, I agree. But also, like, it reminds me of what you were saying. Reminds me of like a TikTok I saw of a girl who had like six, like a notebook full of notes of her solving the John Bonet case all her on her own. And that's where I draw the line. Oh, that's yeah. where I draw the yeah, line yeah, because yeah. you're doing too much like mm-hmm. you wanting to take it into your own hands in an old case when everything you know about the case is through like the lens of television and like documentaries mm-hmm. and things that are beefed up for people to watch in entertainment values like the consumption of true crime does not automatically give you a badge and although the cops kind of suck it doesn't mean that we should be a replacement of it even though there are cases where like internet sleuths do solve the crime better than the cops like um what's See, that guy with the cats that's you what i feel like the cats? yes yes I yeah do. i feel yeah. like that's it's such an interesting problem i guess would be the best way mm-hmm. to say it because like like you're 100 right obviously like just because you watch a lot of true crime or anything like that it doesn't mean that like 
you have a badge doesn't mean like you should be out there like trying to arrest people putting yourself in dangerous situations or whatever mm-hmm. but at the same time we do have quite a few examples of people who either like watch a lot of true crime or are very connected to the internet or just have like a maybe just honestly a better understanding of human psychology in general mm. solving cases that like police officers fbi investigators blah 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 whatever couldn't so it gets it gets a little bit of a gray area there now i'm not defending yeah. the people like the internet sleuths that figured it out i'm just saying it's kind of weird that of nobody on the internet was able to solve this case and you a trained professional were not yeah i think that there are often and there are cases there are like there have been cases where the internet in is essential and maybe like the people in the precinct are not that well versed in technology mm-hmm. where it could hold them back or maybe they kind of like have their own ways of solving crimes but um i i think that like sometimes it reminds me of like you season three mm-hmm. remember when like that oh, frick, I, that one girl she passed she didn't pass away like she was nobody hired. passes away at you they are she, <laughs> she yeah she was she was killed mm-hmm. and basically like the neighborhood turned into like their own little serial podcast like everyone acted like they were on like you know they everybody acted like they were on like my favorite murders mm-hmm. and like they're on npr or something like one that. person gets and, murdered and everyone starts acting funny everyone's yeah. sherlock holmes yeah everyone suddenly has like a, a huge opinion on what's going on everyone has a and, forensic kit in their right. closet suddenly mm-hmm. and i don't think i don't have a definitive answer as to like how i feel truly because Same. when you mentioned the amanda knox case i remember how like i had watched a documentary before mm-hmm. and i watched it with a friend of mine and the thing that like you have to keep in mind is that like it is produced with amanda knox which means she gets say what's in it. And when you watch the documentary, if you look at the whole case and look at all the details, and then you watch the documentary, you'll definitely see it in a different light. Because I watched the documentary and I was like, oh, she probably didn't do it because she doesn't, if she gets producing well, yeah, the documentary I'm not about going how to, she was, yeah. If I'm making a movie about a crime that I didn't commit, mm-hmm. I'm gonna make it look like I was innocent too. Right, yeah. Now for the record, yeah. she was, like officially declared innocent so Mm -hmm. like it's not like she's making this to try to convince people she was innocent Mm -hmm. she's making it because like legally she is and has been because like it was like six years between when the final verdict was made and when the documentary came out so like it's a little bit less biased than if the documentary came out while the court case was still being made but like obviously like still don't make yourself look guilty in your own documentary yeah and there is still some bias behind it because like mm-hmm. even though it's been a long time since the case was like you know laid to rest essentially i'm sure that like the name amanda knox has a lot of weight behind it and like we mentioned before how there are people who invade other people's privacy and cross boundaries they should not cross because they feel like they are entitled to because mm-hmm. they know something that you did and they're interested in it to the point of like consumption and entertainment that they see you not as a person but as something to entertain them as something to interest them as something to keep their attention mm-hmm, so exactly. amanda the documentary it does make sense in a way because maybe she still gets like weird messages from people or people stopping her in the street or it's possibly hard for her to like 
have a normal job because of what happened to her when she was fairly young and you know I do feel for her in that sense because that has to that's quite a unique experience and all the people can empathize with and like it it's not easy obviously not but as someone who is a true crime fan and someone who like spent a lot of time learning about the Amanda Knox case due to my past job I do have to say that like Amanda Knox's innocence is that something that I have 100% certainty in because if I were to walk into a house and I see blood on the sink I'm gonna think something's wrong I'm I'm gonna think something's wrong like there are certain details in the case that like I found weird personally Mm -hmm. and of course now me saying this makes me seem like a hypocrite after what I've said about true crime fans how this like it's just like it's so comp it's so complicated Mm -hmm. you know it's not cut and dry it's not simple you know what I mean absolutely I mean and since we're circling back to Amanda Knox for a second there's two things I have to say about the documentary two things that Mm -hmm. you must say that have nothing to do with anything else um Mm -hmm. they just need to be thrown in one why wasn't there a trigger warning before Trump was shown? What was there a trigger warning? <laughs> that was offensive. I was minding my own business, enjoying watching this documentary, really into it, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Mr. Nobody Orange Potato that. himself, Mr. Sweet Nobody Potato himself. That. Nobody wants to see that. That hurt. Okay, second mm-hmm. of all, um, slightly, though this one's more important. The other one was kind of half of a joke but still completely serious. This one's completely serious. The, I don't know, I forget who he represented, but he was, he was Italian. Um, he was one of the people that they were interviewing. And it was right after, pretty shortly, after the, like, the Trump cameo. Um, they, they were talking about, like, because Trump was in the documentary, because they were talking about how America and a lot of other countries were saying about, oh, how could you miss this blatantly like thing wrong with the case like you how did you mess up this badly that you didn't notice this so hold it's, on hold on it's been a while since i saw the documentary was he interviewed like was so he then, interviewed so here's the thing he, no, no no trump wasn't interviewed but okay. trump was like obviously he's been a celebrity for a long time he was a public yeah. figure okay at right. the time that this case was going on because this, this would have probably been like 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. So he, like at the time, back in like 2008, 2009, he made a statement about this. Okay. And it was a very Trump-esque statement. It was basically mm-hmm. about like, I think that we should definitely have like the American, pe- like American like FBI in there because clearly like the Italians don't know what they're doing. Something along that line. Something mm-hmm. very Trump-like to say. Yeah. Um, and like they just included part of the documentary probably because like, this document came in 2016 so he was either president when it came out or he was like he was at least actively running so it was mm-hmm. relevant to include mm-hmm. him in the documentary yeah. anyways that's not the important part the important part is during this segment they would talk about how the italian police um had messed up and had missed some crucial evidence and the mm-hmm. rest of the world was basically making fun of them for like how could you miss something so obvious mm-hmm. that was the important thing yeah. going on and the guy representing the Italian police, I'm assuming, because he wasn't Italian and like obviously was like translated into English subtitles. Um, and he was like, it's very saddening and very humorous to hear America making fun of us for our law enforcement, because we established the first school of law in 1328. And then he said, 
And the way I paused the documentary, I paused the documentary because I was like, I can't believe that real life person just said this. So he said, we established the first school of law in 1328, which is true. Italy did establish the first school of law. And they said in 1328, in America, they were drawing buffaloes on cave walls. Cut, cut the script right there. Cut the script right there. First of all, mm. the Native Americans, the indigenous people, have have always had less crime rates than you could ever even imagine. First of all. Second of all, you are going to bring a people group who had nothing to do with you, who were not, who were not. <laughs> they were not in this. Like, why, <laughs> why y'all bringing us up? Why y'all bringing us up? Even in like like the present day of the documentary, I didn't hear nothing about the Native Americans, the indigenous people making fun of Italy, and yet you felt the need to attack them? If anything, you should be attacking the British people, because I'm, I'm hoping that you know, sir, that America, the United States of America, that you're trying to insult, was not a country in 1328. Mm. Also, the fact that you're implying that, like, oh, we were a school of law in 1328, and you were savages writing on cave walls. Is that really is that really the message that you want to be sending? Is that really the argument you want to You're be going to now? beat down a people group that have been consistently beaten down by basically every other people group that they've interacted with since the first white people touched American soil. And then you just feel the people, need to beat them down a little bit more. And it's just people just want their land back. And now here you are. Like it was just something so incredibly dumb that I yeah. couldn't process that someone said that. Like he could have been fine. He could have said America. Like if he had said something along the lines of America thinks that we don't know law, but we established the first school of law in like 1328. End of sentence. You know, it would have been like not like a gotcha, but like his mm -hmm. point would have been made, mm -hmm. and like it would make sense why he was making that point, and like you know there was some validity behind it. But to turn around and attack the Native Americans for no reason for absolutely no reason that has nothing to do with the case, with the people involved in the argument, with anything going on. It was just like, how did this pass? How did this make it to the final cut? This entire segment could have just been removed. Yeah, I have to say like, just because your people introduced the first school of law, does that mean you guys have kept it all these years? No. And does it mean that you are the best police force? Also, you want to critique America's police force? You don't have to bring up. You could literally bring no, up. No, you could. You else. could. You could have just anything brought up, else. You could have just brought up American police force end of sentence, and that yeah. would be the win. You could have been like, "Oh, you're critiquing our police force. Have you seen yours?" Exactly, and that, that would have been, been it. That would be a complete for That's it. You would have been one hundred percent correct. That's all you need to say. Also, like, you know, people weren't wrong to kind of criticize them. For how they handled the investigation because they didn't yeah. handle it well like even know? outside of the documentary and like the mm -hmm. slightly warped perspective even just look at the Amanda knox case like separately from that yeah it was a very obvious blunder that was made it was a mistake you did do this wrong there's no mm -hmm. need around that yeah something that you should have noticed no it wasn't even something that you should have noticed it was literally there was no dna connecting these people to that murder weapon like it was something that was blatantly obvious it was part of the murder weapon it was something that you should have investigated should have um done a D uh dna um proof on and you didn't and you came to the wrong conclusion because you missed an important step that's it yeah also like 
like I remember watching the documentary and there were just people coming in and out, regular shoes on, no one had hazmats, no one had gloves, no one was bagging anything, y'all was breaking windows, y'all was doing the most, and it just was sloppy. They were not taking care of the crime scene in the yeah, way it was that a bad it should have been preserved. And also the 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 precinct, the police precinct in that town had never dealt with a murder or a case of that size before. So of course they were unprepared and of course they blundered it and of course they messed up. And of course, like the documentary that is kind of skewed towards Amanda's side is going to try and paint, is going to try and paint like the police precinct as inept or mm-hmm. incompetent mm-hmm. as many police precincts are in a lot of these true, true crime cases. Because a lot of the times they fumble the bag and they don't know how to really handle this case or they don't take it seriously enough or they don't do the right investigations or take the right precautions there is or like they just simply don't do not do their job or they do their job but they do the bare minimum you know what mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. it's it's kind of disappointing it's gross and i like don't want to like get too deep into amanda knox yeah because, i just i i need to bring yeah. it up and there wasn't a bad time to do it but that was something that just like it really like made me uncomfortable while watching mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, talking about police ineptitude reminds me of a Netflix miniseries that I watched called Unbelievable, okay. which was a really, really good miniseries. Uh, it starred Tony Collette and I forget her name, but she was the girl from Booksmart who was okay. like the nerdy one. Not the girl who's playing um, Funny Girl mm-hmm. on Broadway, but the other one. Okay. Yeah, she was. She's also in um, Dear Evan Hansen, I think. I think she's also in that. But the show Unbelievable was about a young girl who was sexually assaulted, but she never saw her assaulter or like like there's no evidence of him in the room, but she was definitely sexually assaulted. And the first cops who had the case basically gaslit her into telling people that she lied about being assaulted and it was like really hard on her so then the case was passed on to another cop in another in a different city and then another female cop reached out to another female cop that she kind of like respected and admired and they figured out that this guy's been doing this constantly and they like went in on like evidence trying to figure out who he is where he was staying how he was doing this like this dude was basically like a ghost to try to figure out what the heck is going on here. And the show was so good because it's like, it's like the one piece of propaganda that I will let slide. Like I'll let it slide just this one time. Like that show and also Criminal, the okay. series on Netflix called Criminal, they do it in Britain, Germany, France, and Spain. I've watched all the series. They're all good. They're all great. Like if you give me a propaganda show where the cops do the work, find the evidence, do the research, question the people, and then just get it like hit hit by hit by hit by hit. I'ma like it. I'ma watch it. You know, I'ma let it slide. You know what I mean? Okay. Also Bodyguard starring Richard Madden. You see, I watch way too much propaganda. It's, <laughs> it's a problem. It's a problem. I recognize it. I it was, At least it was you like, admit it. The first episode <laughs> you did. I mean, it was kind of like a comfort show. Like Law and Order SVU and Bones was like my comfort show when I was a young kid, which is a problem in of itself that I don't want to get into. <laughs> like Law and Order SVU. No, it, it does it split SVU. a lot. It does it split. Okay, but I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I think I've watched every episode of SVU and I've maybe watched five episodes of Law and Order. But Law and Order um, SVU, every single episode. I haven't watched the newer episodes. Well, no, 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 no. No, just like the reruns they showed mm-hmm. on USA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I loved Bones. I 
I love bones. Bones. Are bones? bones are so good. I don't know what, but I don't know what what they were putting in that show. But that show had chokehold over everyone. Listen, everyone but, was watching Bones. Listen, one the fact that one day Chanel sister was off doing New Girl and romantic comedies, and the other one was like some genius scientist. Y'all were doing it. Mm-hmm. Y'all were doing the thing, and also. You really said women in STEM. <laughs> yeah. Also, the lead actor in Bones, I forget his name, but I will never forget his face. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is about him. Him and like Tom Welling, those are the oh, kind of white men that I trust. What? Tom Welling? From, from Have you seen Tom Welling? Babe. I watch every single episode of Smallville. Here's the thing oh Smallville, everyone has that horrible show. That's like mm-hmm. a comfort show for them that they know is objectively terrible and they'll never recommend to anyone because they know it's terrible. For me, that's Smallville. I have watched every episode of Smallville at least four or five times. It is my comfort show. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel seen. But I know that's a terrible show and that no one should watch it. Smallville is the reason why I like Supernatural so much. That is a hundred. The Smallville, <laughs> yo, the Smallville to Tumblr like specifically Doctor Who, Sherlock, mm. Supernatural Pipeline, it's a straight line. There's no divergence. There's not, I don't know a single person who watched Smallville that didn't watch all three of those shows, or at least is well aware of all three of those shows. And also Tom Welling, he was in Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Also I... Tom Welling now, Tom Welling now, he, age did not hurt him. He oh aged my gosh. fine wine <laughs> over here. I can't, I can't. Like something was in that Kentucky water. Oh my gosh. When I saw him on the super, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, oh my God. I was so surprised. I was like, oh my God. I was like, why why is Henry Cavill playing Superman when we could have Tom Welling continue to play Superman? Because I would watch that version of Superman. Mm, Yeah. Tell a different story. Superman the dad. Please. Mm -hmm. We love him. Okay. What what were we talking about again? We <laughs> um, got completely off topic. Sorry, Tom Bowling distracted us. Yes, he did. He's very distractible. He's very distracting. Um, <laughs> I have no idea what we were talking uh, about before. A, I think that I think I'm just gonna jump into the documentary I was talking about. Okay, go ahead. Go that ahead. I watched. Mm-hmm. Um, the documentary that I watched was Murder Among the Mormons. Okay, and I um I started watching it. And to be honest, like I had seen a, I've seen a lot of true crime documentaries on Netflix. I think this is the one that like interested me a little bit because I really didn't know like what it was really like about. I had no idea like I had no prior background knowledge to the show, and I love going into things blind. I don't need anybody to tell me what's going on behind it because I'll research it and I'll spoil it for myself. So I'm like, if I want to watch a thing, I have to know nothing about it. So Murder Among the Mormons, the documentary talk follows mark hoffman he is a basically a rare document finder for the mormon church he found the earliest mormon document in 1980 um he was able to find rare documents all the time and the thing is it's like obviously the mormon faith is connected to like the christian faith and i'm a very devout christian mm-hmm. so there are some things i can't not speak to objectively within this documentary but i'll try my best and essentially the Mormons, they love to preserve documents, but they like to preserve documents that solidify their faith. They like that there are documents based in history mm-hmm. that basically 
count their faith to be correct. But if there's anything that may challenge their faith, there's not, that's probably something that they don't want, you know? Which makes sense. So for a while, I put a lot of notes in. Yeah. So I'm basically going to try and go through the case. Now I'm going to try not to spend too much time. I don't have that many notes. But uh, essentially, um, Mark Hoffman found this thing called the Salamander Letter that was next to the Golden Plates. And if you know, if you don't know Mormon doctrine, essentially Joseph A. Smith, um, he was a prophet of the Lord and he supposedly saw an angel of the Lord in like a garden or something, I don't know. And he was given these golden plates and they're supposed to be like book three of the Bible. And it was revealed to him, you know, through this angel. And that's what the Mormons believe. The Mormons follow the Bible in like book three as well, I believe. If I'm saying something wrong, you know, feel free to correct me. Uh, I don't mean to offend anybody. I'm just trying to like cite the sources that I have. Mm -hmm. So Martin Harris was supposedly the person that wrote the Salamander letter or was written, like his name was on it or something like that. And uh, essentially the Salamander letter tells people that the history of what they learned from Joseph Smith was incorrect. And there have been accusations against the LDS church to hide its history and to hide documents that do not affirm their faith. And Mark was gonna give these documents to certain people so that like they could sell it to the Mormon church and the Mormon church would like kind of evaluate and see if this is like, you know, historically right. But um, it was believed that the Mormon church was out to acquire these documents to suppress what was inside because it could cause people to leave the church. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of the documents that were brought to the church, it was incomplete in the context and it was meant to destroy, like basically the integrity. Um, a lot of the, there was this thing, or I mentioned the Salamander letter. The Salamander letter essentially says that Joseph A. Smith didn't see an angel but he was led by a white salamander. And it was basically a story of like folk magic and treasure hunting. It says something like divine intervention, you know? And it was from this thing called the McLennan Collection that also had other documents related to the salamander letter or like it. And another piece of information that was in it was that Joseph Smith's wife said that it was the brother, not Joseph, that had found the plates instead. So, October 15th, I believe that's the day, there was an explosion on the sixth floor of a place called the Judge Building, where there was a bomb found, and a man who was meant to buy one of the documents, Steve Christensen, had passed away. And then after that, at someone's home, there was another bomb found by someone's wife. It was meant for a man who was also going to be interested in the purchasing of the documents, but his wife found it instead, and she had passed away as well. And it was said that the price behind the documents was around $300,000. And Gordon B. Hickley, who was like, I think the counselor of the church, or like, he's the second counselor of the LDS presidency, something like that. He was said to have been the one who's supposed to buy it. So when you're first watching the documentary, you're like, okay, the church is behind it, because they're thinking that. Because people are assuming that's a professional assassin who has created these bombs and are planning it and like hurting people and that people's lives are in danger. Like people are scared because people are dying. You know, it's very scary. It's very frightening. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, episode two basically focuses on like, episode one is like the background. So people know like what's at stake. 
Like people are finding this guy, Mark Hoffman, he found these documents, they're real, they're genuine. They're telling a different history or a different story of the church that Mormons believe and Mormons know base their whole faith on. And if these documents come to light, there'll be a huge controversy because there was already a controversy before with another document and then they found these new ones. So it's causing a bit of a stir you know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously the church is upset by this. So episode one is giving the background to that. And episode two focuses on the investigation behind it. You know, it episode one sets up the motives. Episode two is giving us a lot more information. Um, so obviously the rumored concerns of the Mormon church are at stake with these documents that are being brought forth. People talk, talk about Mark Hoffman, the person who found the documents. He was born and raised in Mormonism. Um, and we soon find out that um, we find out a lot of things about a lot of people in the documentary. There's a guy named Brett McCalf, McCalf who was supposed to meet with him. There's a man by the name of like Shannon Flynn, I believe, who's also a rare document finder. There are a couple other people mentioned as well as Dory Hoffman. His wife is also in the documentary as well. And a lot of the documentary starts to focus a little bit more on Mark. Uh, when Mark was young, he found old Mormon books and he read anti-Mormon books when he was in college and he found things that were against the tradition of the Mormon church and he thought that false narratives were propagated to kind of solidify the Mormon religion in a way and at one point like there was a guy Shannon Flynn that was being accused of the bombs because he had an interest in firearms and he had the anarchist cookbook in his house which is a thing a book that teaches you how to make homemade bombs yeah but he scored a plus 12 on a lie detector test. So they pushed him aside because if you score below a six on a lie detector test, you're lying. Above above a six is telling the truth. And he scored a plus 12. So they're like, he's telling the truth. He's fine. He's not in it, right? So there's a witness from the day of the judge building who said there's a strange man in a high school letterman jacket, green, no letter, clean cut, who was seen at the building before the bomb went off. And obviously people think that something's wrong. And it is revealed that Mark had that jacket, that that is Mark's jacket. So of course the cops go and get a search warrant for his home and they find the jacket, right? They have him, they question him. He scores a plus 14 on a lie detector test. Okay, we let him go because mm. maybe it's not him. They're still looking for a suspect. They're still trying to figure out who it is. But we get into Mark a little bit more. What's going on with Mark? Who is he, right? There's another document that Mark has brought forth to someone else called The Oath of a Free Man, which is a very old document that's supposed to be one of like, I didn't exactly write this down in my notes because at some point, at some point when I start watching things, I just keep watching and I stop taking notes. That's you know true, what I mean? But true. Oath of the Free Man is basically like old document, old, old, old history. If this thing is genuine and accurate, he's going to get $1.5 million from the sale. And they're putting it through tests, they're putting it through their winger, they're finding authenticity, they're doing all this stuff to make sure it is authentic, mm -hmm. to make sure it is real. You know what I mean? Another thing we found out about Mark is that Mark is someone who cares a lot about outward appearances, and he likes to take people to fancy dinners, he likes to buy new things. When him and his family were supposed to get a new van, he got a van and a new sports car. Like, he would go to New York with his friends, and he would drink. Like, he took, like, 16 shots of whiskey one night, oh, and then puked mm. himself green, like, this man was a party animal. Okay, he liked okay. to play craps and drink and have fun. But back at home, he's a good Mormon man. All right, he believes in the Lord. But what we find out is that Mark admitted to one of his friends 
that he had been atheist since he was 15 years old. And Mark lived in a very strict Mormon household, living his whole life in a very strict Mormon household and started reading anti-Mormon books from a young age. And of course, he probably picked up by now. Mark Hoffman is the man who did this. Mm-hmm. Like he ain't got no accomplices. He don't have no friends. It was no one else. It was him. He was behind it. He was behind it. And the way they found this out was that like, they were trying to go through the documents and try to figure out what's the motive behind this. Who would do this? Is it the church that wants to solidify their integrity? But they soon found out that Bark was in debt to a lot of people and he owed a lot of people money. Oh, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if you no, now it's all coming produce- together. If you can produce documents that destroy a whole institution that is makes money, 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 then you are going to make some money, 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 money. Mm -hmm. And he owed people a lot of money, 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 money. Okay. So it actually like when he was young, this is crazy. He used to change the coin into looking authentic treasury to the u.s treasury department mm-hmm. and they sent it back as genuine and his idea was if it's proved to be genuine and authority says that it's genuine then it has to be genuine even though he knows it's fake the two steps prior makes it genuine so he spent his whole life learning how to beat live character tests learning how to make fake documents learning how to make old things with real like new things with yeah, new old. Things like old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he had a whole room dedicated to this craft that he had he was obsessed with this stuff and his wife didn't know because his wife didn't go in the room or anything like that because like mormon traditionals you know Mm -hmm. gender roles like she just thought of it as another room she didn't have to clean she didn't really think that much of it and no one really thought that much of it really you know but mark was just he was a conniving little snake i mean I, I don't know what it was, but the investigators won. for this case, yeah, like the investigators of this case were working overtime, you know, like at one point, the documents, like there was some mixed up with the documents about who was supposed to get it, like if the church was supposed to get it or someone like Alvin Ress was supposed to get it. Alvin Ress is also another rare document finder who Mark owed a lot of money to. Mm-hmm. Eventually the church turns over the documents to the FBI so they can run authenticity checks. The Oath of the free man is being run through authenticity, authenticity checks through another organization. And then there are the cops looking at documents for the McLennan collection or something else. I don't remember exactly. And they're trying to figure out what's going on. What's going on here? The FBI says that the papers that the church has is authentic. The oath of the free man is authentic. And the oath of free man being authentic is a huge deal because then that will be presented at the base of the Statue of Liberty and Mark will win so much money. You'll get so mm-hmm. much money from that. So of course, um, there is a man called George Throckmorton. He's really good at, at documenting, at authentic, authenticating documents. And there's also a man, William Flynn, who also helped him as well. And they work together to try to figure out the documents they have in their possession. Are they really 150 years old or... Is it something else? Yeah. And what mm-hmm. they also find out was that there's a man, Dean Jesse, who had supposedly proven the authenticity of the documents prior. But Dean is a historian. He's not a document authenticator. He doesn't do this. So him being a, and a historian doesn't really help. It's not really a real like watchful eye behind it, right? So 
they spent like 110 hours investigating these documents and they figured out that every document that Hoffman handled had cracks in the ink. And they found a receipt to Cox and Clark's engraving. And Mark Hans Mike Hanson, a Samarana person, they went through the evidence they found at Mark Hoffman's home and they really dug through it. They combed through it, they're looking through it, they're trying to find something, right? Mike Hanson was someone who had asked to have a plate made and he paid in cash. A plate made for the oath of a freeman. However, he couldn't finish the transaction. And he finished the transaction with a personal check for Mark Hoffman. The check was literally $2. If this man had brought the correct change that day, he wouldn't have been caught. Oh my God. He wouldn't have been caught. That made me scream at the top of my lungs. Like, how could you be so stupid and committing a crime? Like, you are forging documents that shall destroy the faith of a huge institution. And you can't bring enough cash to make right. the plates. What are we doing here? Nah, exactly. So yeah, they found out that he's committing committed like huge mass amount of fraud. And of course he is arrested, you know, and when he's arrested, he can he confesses, he gives a whole confession. And episode three is basically like going through his confession. And this man is a square. This guy is boring. This guy's like an accountant kind of dude. Like there's ah. nothing that's special to him. And there's something that screams out, I'm a bad person. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. But when you listen to his confession, it is so eerie because it's like listening to a math teacher. It's like listening to someone who every day of his life, he eats peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and he has oatmeal for breakfast and he kisses his wife on the forehead and he goes to sleep at 9 p.m. every single night. But when he's speaking in the confessional, not confessional, like it's a reality show. When he's speaking <laughs> in the, when he's speaking in his, he's giving his confession, he has no remorse. He has no regrets. He isn't really sad or sorry. You know, he's contemplating his own beliefs. When he had, he's talking about the day he had the bomb. He was planting it at Steve's office. And he's thinking about how he himself, he's an atheist, but he's really thinking, is there a God? And will I be judged for my actions? Because he plans on killing somebody mm -hmm. and he said that the second bomb wasn't supposed to go off that there was a 50 percent chance that it would go off and then the investigator asked him if you are someone who is so meticulous in beating a lie detector test forging false documents doing all these things and you made a bomb that was 50 percent 50 percent chance gonna go off would you really leave that up to chance and he never really answered that question so it gives you like that feeling of like this guy is so smart and so calculating and yet he still believes like this is like this is a stupid example but he's one of those nice guys who doesn't see that he's not really a nice guy but he's so convinced that he's a nice guy you're not a nice guy you're a bad guy you're a horrible person like he really does try to excuse the fact that he tried to kill people and the thing that i forgot to mention was that he tried to take himself out too mm -hmm. he put a bomb in his own car and he got hurt but he didn't die you know and the funny thing was that there was somebody he was taken to an lds hospital okay and there was someone outside the hospital who gave him a blessing and basically they had a consecrated oil and they like i don't know sanctified him and they commanded him to live and it's ironic it's ironic because like if that person wasn't there imagine if he died and imagine that person being there and like kept him. That's ironic to me. That's hilarious to me. The fact that that one guy was in there 
Like that guy does not know. He blessed a demon. He doesn't know. That man, he was an agent of, he was not an agent of the Lord. I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry, bro. You should have kept the oil to yourself. I know that we're supposed to love one another as ourselves, but this man, he got two bodies on him. All right. Mm. Two bodies. Like, and he was ready to take out more. While he was in jail after he confessed, he tried to talk to other inmates on how to how to order hits on the parole board to try and get him out of there. Like he was still trying to commit crimes in jail. Like he was playing in the confession, like he was sorry and he regretted what he did. And yet when he left that room, he was talking to his inmates and he was trying to, like he he saved sleeping pills from other inmates to try and, you know, mm-hmm. take out leave, but that did not work out. So he's still in jail to this day. And I think that I should have picked up on the fact that like his wife was in the documentary, but he wasn't. I'd like, I look, he was like, okay, they're gonna tell me he died. I was really scared. Uh-huh. I, don't, I wanted to Google it, but I didn't. But when I found out it was him, I was like, that is such a crazy twist. Like, that's insane. Cause you would think, oh, it was a church. And this is a huge conspiracy. Mm-hmm. But like, I was watching it. I was like, if the church had killed somebody, I would have found out. So what's really going on here? You know what I mean? I was like, is this really a story that I don't understand? I didn't know about. But watching this, it's crazy because like, it kind of feeds into like, um this is a little off topic with true crime but christians kind of have this conception that the whole world is out to get them and this is fed by those god's not dead movies those christian propaganda movies that like atheists are actually angry people and like people who don't believe in christ you watched the left no you read the left behind series and now you can i did you're the main character i also i also read the entire (laughs) left behind series i also watched the movies I watched the movie. The movies? Kirk Cameron. If we want to talk about fan fiction. If we no. want to talk about fan no. fiction. No. Kirk the Cameron, Left Behind movies. I never started I don't the fan to. fiction genre. Stop. <laughs> it's, it's truly like, it truly. Like, Some people want to be oppressed so bad. It all circles back to that. They want yeah. to be oppressed so bad. Yeah. At the end of the day, it really was just like, at one point in the, uh, documentary he said that he claimed to have 116 lost pages of the original mormon manuscript and like he it really is despicable what he did like he was willing to towards people's beliefs like people would literally ask him for documents for rare unfindable documents and then he would be like oh i have that oh i have that like how how do you have that in your and i was watching the documentary first episode i was like how did he get these things how do you find these things who is he talking to? I really thought somebody was gonna reveal the secrets. But like even from the beginning, I was like, how did how did he get that letter? Like, how do you find these things? How do you know this? Like, how do people figure these things out? Is he an archaeologist? Does he know somebody in Greece? Like, what's is he going better on? than me? What's going <laughs> on here? And it turns out he was just lying. He was just lying. He was just making things he up. He was having fun. He was yeah. making things up for the girls. And it kind of like brings into question like you know, people believe that uh, people who are religious are like gullible. Like, why would you believe in a sky daddy and things of that nature? And like, you didn't have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get it because like I've heard it my whole life, and like for the most part, I haven't had a lot of people questioning my faith because I live in Georgia. Yeah. And most people who go he- live here are Christians. <laughs> most like, people who go here. <laughs> like, 
every corner of the street has a church and a gas station mm-hmm. and a Walgreens. So mm-hmm. it's not, I'm not, I don't live in a place, I don't live in a country where my faith is really questioned, nah. you know, and not, to be honest, most Christians don't like, nah. no, like a religion that is constantly berated and questioned and oppressed Muslims, mm-hmm. easily Muslims, easily Muslim women, because they walk into the room and you know, the religion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not going to try to front, like, I'm not oppressed for my faith. I'm oppressed for other things. All mm-hmm. right. But all in all, the documentary does bring in the interesting point of like how people will do anything for their beliefs. And oftentimes with Christians, it's the other way around where Christians are willing to do whatever it takes for you to believe in God. And this man was what it wasn't really like his belief. At the end of the day, it was money and greed, which also ties into like, which is very important. Money and greed. Yeah. How this man kind of lost his way a bit. And like, I understand you not believing in like a certain faith that you're raised in and that you want to have your own thoughts and whatever and it can be hard to deviate for something that is the norm and within your community because like he married a mormon girl he married young he had kids and like she was of the mormon faith and maybe he felt kind of stuck in that community that he couldn't mm-hmm. step out of it and he felt like he had to do this you know and like christians do have this uh, tendency to put on a show and having to put on appearances to seem mm-hmm. like they're okay when they're not. And of course he did that as well. And, you know, I mean, I don't really have anything to say for Mark other than like the, like this whole thing, this whole scam he was running, he had been running it since he was 14 years old. He had been doing this for years. He had mastered the craft. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Department of Treasury so like basically gave him the ego boost he needed for the rest of his life. And it took two old white men to find some cracks and some ink and it was done it was done for it was if, a wrap if george throckman had it figured out what was going on if william flynn had it figured out what was going on the oath of the freeman and the fbi would be all he needed to be rich and living an easy life he would have been fine he would have been fine like it really is shocking to me and that man literally tried to call a hit on throckman's throckmorton's life like Leave this man alone. It's mm. done. You in jail. You got the jumpsuit and everything. It's over. Wait, oh. Leave it alone, bruh. Like you ain't Your getting pictures have been taken. It's over, bruh. You booked and you in there. All right. Nobody else coming for you. You know, it was a really good documentary. It was like oh, really well nice, done. Nice. I liked watching it. Um, I usually like stay away from religious documentaries simply because like it's just not my thing. You know, I already went through my phase of like consuming every single kind of religious content there is on earth and i was just kind of like i need something else you mm. know like i need something else because usually it's either like way too cheesy and i just don't like it like god's not dead movies i can't do those like courageous and like war room oh my god like fireproof oh, oh that's not my thing you're describing the entire genre oh my god that hurts so I don't want much it. i don't want it why you brought it. up courageous war room and fireproof <laughs> the way i melt it the way that i because like i was also raised very devout christian yeah. um like my mom is uh southern baptist my dad was catholic like very mm-hmm. very conservative christian the way that those movies were being played on repeat mm-hmm. like i remember i remember when fireproof came not came out but like came out on like dvd like our church they had a showing of it on mm-hmm. like a wednesday night and we were yeah. there and so it was like hundreds of other people 
Like it was yeah. like it was like a movie discussion night. It was a book club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I I think that like this is a completely different topic, but those movies are not based in fact because A, people don't care if you're Christian for the most part. Like we all know Christians exist. Like Really? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> like and also if you meet someone who's atheist, they're not really gonna try to debate you on your religion. And if they do, don't hang out with that person. Those people are the most annoying people ever. Why would you even like say friends with that person? It's it's so easy to like tell someone to go away and they will go away. It's simple. And also like most of the scenarios in which like movies like God's Not Dead are based in are scenarios that do not happen. And then the cases that they show at the end of the movie, they're very vague cases where like, yeah, that kind of happened, but not really in the sense that it did. And it's over-dramatized. Like if you, like in God's Not Dead 3, I think, Melissa Joan Hart plays a school teacher who talks about the preach, the talk, the teachings of Martin Luther King and the Bible. And if you bring that up in class, that's not going to get you in trouble because it ties into history and school and no one in class is going to complain because they don't really care and also in lots of schools they have christian clubs yeah and on campuses there are mormons who go around and like they're on their bikes and they're in their little suits and ties no one bothers the mormons everyone's nice to the mormons you know what i mean like it's fine. People have Bible study on college campuses and they have morning Bible study in high schools too, you know? And I feel like these movies kind of like, you know, I feel like, you know, in the Christian faith, it's like, we're at war with the world. And like, that's true. But at the same time, we don't really always like, we're not, See, I'm not literally at war. You know here's what I mean? the thing. Yeah. So from my perspective, and this is continuing on the detour. Yeah. All the, all the Christians at war with the world, to some extent, yes. But at the same time, at least in modern day, actually not even modern day, I'll take this back about 800 years at least. We can go back to the Crusades for this one. A lot of those wars, they started. Mm -hmm. Like they may, may be at war, but most of the time they're the ones that struck first they're the ones that started the problems especially yeah. we want to get into stuff like i know that colonization isn't the right word but specifically missionary work but yeah colonization type missionary yeah. work you can't go into another person's country and try to force your religion on them and your way of life on them and expect them to not retaliate and then get surprised and upset when they fight back against you, you know? Like, I know that that doesn't describe all Christians by any right. means, yeah. but like a lot of times I feel like when people say that, when Christians say that they are at war with the world, that's the type of things that pop into their head. Mm -hmm. And and in those cases, usually the Christians started that war. Yeah, I think that like, I do also kind of like feel iffy about like, certain things when it comes to like missionary work like i go to a missionary church mm -hmm. and i'm haitian american so all the missionary work is to haiti mm -hmm. so it's basically like haitians helping their own country after they've immigrated to america and just like trying yeah. to like rebuild and mm -hmm. like that's great and of course i personally i love that but when i see like people i know from high school going to like ghana or like nicaragua 
and taking pictures uh, with these like young kids. See, like, that's always that's always something that like has kind of bothered me a little. So my family yeah. has always been big into mission work. Like we, uh, okay, we're, we're going to skip over that because that seems like yeah. a little bit of a bragging. But like we've always been big into mission work. My parents, my mom and my dad, were missionaries in Mali, West Africa, for about twenty years um, before they before like me and my little sister came around. And my oldest sister and her husband, who is native um, Burkina Faso, they are currently like running mission programs in Mali, West Africa, like right now. Mm -hmm. Like they are, it's weird to call them the CEOs of the company, but they're like the directors of the mm -hmm. company. It's called Youth with a Mission, YWAM. But like, so my family has always been huge into mission work. We're connected with our mission, like dozens of missionaries all across the world, just because like that was something that my family was always really passionate about. So I've mm -hmm. seen the amazing amount of good that like long-term active passion-driven mission work can do. And so yeah. to see the, the type of mission work that usually gets portrayed like on social media, mm -hmm. that happens a lot like with high schoolers, like, yeah. going to, like, like you said, like Nicaragua or going to like Ghana mm -hmm. or like stuff like that, it feels, I feel like fake is the wrong word. Cause like, I do understand that they are in some cases doing good work like they are yeah. helping especially if they're like you know, maybe building houses or like um providing shelter bringing supplies like they are actively like they're making things better but it feels very performative mm -hmm. i guess would be, maybe be the better word yeah another thing is that like like it's i have a problem with missionaries who are like we're bringing nothing but the word of god you need to bring water, you yeah. need to bring food. You need to bring clothes. infrastructure and you need to bring a plan. Yeah, you need to put, you bring all them bodies to Africa, but you're not going to build a well, a church. You're not going to dig. You're not going to build some shelter. You're not going to help you're, with a hospital or something. Hello? You're not going to help repair the barns. You're not going to help. the frick? You're not like, going to help grow the crops. You're not going to. Like, there nothing? needs to be a plan. You know what I mean? And also, like, they're, like, I do have a problem with, like, people who, white people who go on missions and they want to take pictures with like the black kids but i see your friends list mm. like babe i don't know uh -huh. if you know this but there are black people in there yeah too. also i don't know if people know this but like y'all don't have to go to disenfranchised countries when there are people in your own backyard yeah like, you can literally walk you can walk nine blocks to the left and you like, can find some you can find some people who you can be helping who you could be who you could be making their lives infinitely better with your time with your money yeah. with your focus like mission work is great but we can also take this money that you'll have and you can give it to somebody within your church mm -hmm. that needs help absolutely y'all right? want to go to africa and help the young kids but someone in your own neighborhood you're gonna tell them to pull themselves up we also, you could, like, you know, like i'm not sure exactly the entire demographic of our listeners but like high mm -hmm. schoolers like i guarantee you there's at least there's at least 10 people in your high school that like they're in your high school, so they're probably part of, you know, like, your community. Mm -hmm. That could definitely be using your help right now. Like, you can offer to buy one of your friends lunch. Mm -hmm. You can help them out with their studies. Exactly. Like, you know, it's... Maybe you could, like, like drive them to, like, school. Maybe mm -hmm. you could, like, do, like, 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 there's something. There's... Give them a ride. Exactly. Hang out with them on the weekends. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, do something. Like, study the SATs together. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like... Give you them your them. notes that you took on the day that right. like they were gone, and like let them take yeah. a picture of your notes. Mm -hmm. Don't be hoarding those notes for me. Like I see you exactly. highlighting that stuff. I need to read. It was detailed. Yeah. 
writing in the margins and everything. Let me see what you got. Let me see what kind of notes you got. What's going on? I want to pass the test too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I love that we have veered. Yeah, if that was a major detour. Yeah. Um, but it was necessary because we were talking about it ties into religion. It was a detour, yeah. but I felt like it was it wasn't too far out of left field. Yeah. That was and, helpful. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And Murder Among Mormons is probably like one of the only true crime documentaries I've watched that I just like really liked, you know, I just really enjoyed it. And um, it was good. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to say. It was good. You know what I mean? It was very interesting. And I like, it reminded me of Mindhunter a bit. I love Mindhunter. Oh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love things that like, you know, Mindhunter is a bit of a slow burn. Um, not a lot of true crime people will be into it because I think a lot of people who like true crime like the spectacle and they do like the murder and the kind of scariness and kind of gore behind it. But easy, my hunter takes more of a psychological look within why serial killers do what they do yeah. and what feeds into that. And if me, we as humans, like we as regular people, like how different are we from serial killers? Like, do we have those tendencies within ourselves and if we spend a lot of time looking into things like true crime and serial killers do we tend to find the worst in people and the worst in society or do we judge it too heavily or are we really trying to be as prepared as we believe ourselves mm -hmm. to be you know i am sad that my hunter isn't getting a season three because i love season two because I focus on the Atlanta child murders, which okay. I mm -hmm. only like heard about because I live in it, I live near Atlanta, and I didn't know about it. But to see it through the lens of the TV show when the first season is already set up so perfectly, so to watch mm -hmm. them take the tools and the things that they've learned from season one and season two and apply it to a real life case yeah. is so interesting. And it's also interesting because they were setting up the B2K killer oh, in mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. season three, and I really, I, I, I really want there to be season three. Like, I do not want David Fisher to let it go. David Fisher, like, he's one of the only white directors that I, like, really do like. And I need him to just, I need him to fight for this. Mm. I need him to fight for this. I need Jonathan Groffman to say something. I need it. I need to be sad. Like, I got to see it happen. I got to see <laughs> completion. I need it done. I need the filming. I need production schedule. I want to know. Like, please, someone let me know. Send me the like, West. Send me the West. Please, please make it happen, sir. I love it too much. But um, yeah, I don't think, is there anything else you want to say, uh, Glenn? I don't really think so. We kind of covered it all. Yeah, I think we did. I'm just going to like go through my notes. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. Um, overall, what do you like honestly think about true crime? Like, do you? So, so like just saying my thing about true crime, I'll admit it, like I'll say, I, no, this isn't controversial or anything. I enjoy it. I said that at the beginning. And I really like it because, like, I can just listen to it. Like, I can just put it on while I'm cleaning, while I'm doing something, and it'll just work. I'm sorry, my mom walked in. Um, please try to repeat what you just said. I was oh, you're okay. talking. Yeah. Um, I. I just completely like like I'm someone who like I like longer form content like that. The fact that like most of like the good like episodes and stuff, whatever, um, especially of like a podcast and YouTube videos, so, like an hour ish. There isn't a lot of visual components. Maybe some like photo, like some evidence pictures, but nothing major. So I can mm -hmm. just be playing it like while I'm working on something, while I'm like cleaning, while I'm washing the dishes, while I'm folding laundry. And it's like it makes 
just like a nice like background noise, a nice story that I can like be paying attention to while like doing like a mindless activity. Um, and it's nice and it's interesting and like the fact that it's real, it like it captures my attention, you know, like I'm learning stuff while doing it. Yes, I too, I like true crime podcasts or something that, you know, I like to listen to stuff while I, you know, with do my laundry, mm. blah, 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 whatever. And I do enjoy like, I don't know, this was so, I, this is like really comfort, comforting and just something that piques my interest about true crime, even though there are a lot of problems with it. Like me personally, um, there was a, I can watch like true crime documentaries. That's fine. But one thing I will not do is watch true crime makeup gurus. Like Bailey Sarin, nothing against her, but I don't want to watch somebody put on a perfect eyeliner while they're talking about somebody murdered. Like if I go out that way and uh, B- Bailey Sarian is getting ready to do her murder mystery Monday, <laughs> I need somebody to let her know that I'm going to be flickering them lights <laughs> and I'm going to be throwing some plates. All right. I'm somebody to let her know that's a no-go for me. It's an, it's an absolute no. I'm putting it in my will. I'm saying if I happen to die by horrible circumstances, I do not want a documentary. I don't want no beauty gurus. I don't want no mukbangs. Lay <laughs> me to rest. Lay me to rest. Nobody. All right. Especially not the person I used to work for. If she talks about me, my murder, I <laughs> I'm, mm-hmm, yeah, girl, your internet's going to cut out and it's never going back. All right. <laughs> He's gone. Try me. Try me. Yeah. <laughs> but there's like, you know, you have to be careful of like how you talk about those things because the victim's families are still around, mm-hmm. you know, and oftentimes I think like the interest of true crime has stepped in on like real life cases that have happened to people like the, I forget her name. It was the girl that died hiking and people thought the boyfriend did it. And then oh, that turned into yeah. a whole ordeal. Yeah, um, I don't remember their names either, but it was like, um, was it Gabby? I think it was so. Gabby yeah. Martinez? Uh, wait. Maybe if you can look it up real quick. Yeah, I'm going to look it up. Yeah. Um, you know, people going ahead and deciding to pretend to be a detective when it is not their place, obviously impedes on other people's privacy and other people's grieving process. And oh, Gabby Petito? Gabby Petito, yes. And right now, there is a case that is being pushed a lot on my free page. Uh, I think her name is Lauren Smith or Lauren McSmith. Uh, She was allegedly killed by her Bumble date. Oh, Lauren Smith-Fields. Lauren Smith-Fields, allegedly killed by her Bumble date, who was 14 years her senior. And it also brings up how certain serial killers are romanticized and others are villainized and how certain victims are immortalized and others are forgotten or not even investigated. And it does tie into the inherent racial bias within our country and Mm. our policing system. Mm. How oftentimes cops will bend over backwards for white victims, which we talked about in Gone Girl how like Absolutely. everyone was so quick to find that white woman and she knew people were quick to find her because she was white womaning but she, um, i like how you say that she was white womaning she, she, she was, was. White she was doing the most <laughs> like 
girl, what was like, it was, but, but like how Laura Smithfield is obviously, was obviously murdered by that man who mm-hmm. took her on that bubble date. And it has taken people on TikTok to try and get the police to pay attention. And there's also the case of Amir Locke, who was also murdered in his own home, the same way Breonna Taylor was. And it's just this constant reminder that like people like it when it's neatly wrapped up and it's a nice story, but they do focus on certain victims more than others, mm-hmm. you know? And it's not true crime. People look at it as a hobby or as an interest, but you forget that there are real people and real lives involved with in this, you know? Like it's, it can be very sombering. Yeah. It can be very sad. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one thing I do not want to see is a Netflix documentary on Lauren Smithfields because I'm I'm not in, I I'm interested in the case and I would like for her to get justice. But the same way with Brianna Taylor and how people kept putting her face on T-shirts and getting like tattoos of her face and it's like y'all didn't do this with George Floyd. Yeah. But you're doing this with her. I don't understand. Like it's. You're saying that you're trying to immortalize it and you're trying to be respectful, but it doesn't feel respectful. It feels like a token, you know. Speaking of token, did you know that um, there is a site called OpenSea that is selling NFTs of Black people under the title of... Now, does this surprise you? Now, does this... No, no, no. I want you to sit here on camera live in, this front of a stu- live in a studio audience and tell me that this surprises you. We're in our rooms. <laughs> There is one of George Floyd. Now, let me say again. What do you think is the primary demographic of people who support NFTs? Now, you have to say it out loud, but think of it in your head. When you have a clear picture, let me know. (laughs) Okay, now tell me that you are surprised that this exists, that this is a thing. I hate it here. (laughs) Okay. I just want to make sure. Because here's the thing. You told me that. I had never heard about that before you just said that 30 seconds ago. Not surprised. Not phased. I was like, mm-hmm. that makes perfect sense. That sounds exactly like something that would happen. This, this is not the good place. <laughs> this, this is not this the good place. It's the bad place. This? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Glenn, yeah. uh, do you have any final thoughts before we go into all pasts? This is the bad place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to move into our next segment, which is called I'll Pass, where we talk about uh, movies, TV shows that we are going to be passing on uh, this week. Um, Glenn, do you have anything you're going to be passing on? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Since we just brought up what we just brought up, it's kind of a coincidence because that's kind of what I wanted to talk about with All Pass. Because there is coming. I know that you can't wait to watch it. I'm going to say that I'm not going to watch it and you're going to be shocked. You're going to be so surprised. You're going to be like, I was looking forward to that. Because Downton Abbey 2 is coming out. That's right. Downton mm-hmm. Abbey, the award winning British BBC series, had a movie. I don't know when it came out. Came out sometime. And now, in about the next month or so, I'm pretty sure, there's a sequel. Downton Abbey too. And I feel what better time to get the perspective of how the world looks from the viewpoint of semi-royals who are rich, well-off, living in a mansion, well-known, than right now. I feel like 
of everything that we could have in media right now, this is what we need representation in. This is what has been missing. This is something that since COVID has started, I don't think I've gotten enough information about. I haven't gotten the perspective of the rich white elite known for their generational wealth. Okay, wait, wait, I'm confused. Down Abbey is a show that was mm-hmm. on PBS. Yes. And then it ended and then there's a movie, right? Yes. And now there's another right? movie coming out. Mm-hmm. So what's, why? Um, Cause they're gonna talk about COVID. Why? Now, I don't know that for sure, but like, what? How? It's not set in the modern times. It's not set that much out of modern times. What? British, British people what are just a little bit behind. <laughs> Glenn, you're joshing me right now. What's yeah, going I'm on? joking. I'm joking. But Downton Abbey yeah. 2, it's called Downton Abbey A New Era. And it is coming out. Um, oh, I thought it came out in March. I guess it comes out in May. I just saw the announcement okay. for it um, like two days ago. Interesting. Yeah, very okay. excited. Very excited to pass. All right. Well, obviously, no. Um, I don't know anybody who watches Down Abbey. Oh, now pause Abbey. right there because my dad doesn't watch anything like this, but my dad's a Down Abbey stan. I don't know what happened because he doesn't watch any other show that's even similar, even in the same genre. But he has watched everything that Down Abbey has ever produced. And I can't explain it. I think he's cuckold it a little bit, if I'm going to be 100% honest. But if I asked him a question about Downton Abbey, it doesn't matter how specific it is, he would know it off the top of his head, not even take a second to research. I could ask him what happened in season two, episode 13, when I don't even know what happens, but like, I don't know, when the necklace went missing. And he could be like, oh, well, the necklace went missing because this person stole it, and then this maid was the one that found it, but she didn't, was able to report it because she was caught doing details. And it's embarrassing. That's why I brought it up. I brought it up because I have such a strong, I feel like hatred is too light of a word for Downton Abbey. Mm. But yeah, so I'll be Just like a disdain? Yeah, yeah. Especially because like my dad was always watching it. Not while I was growing up, because like it didn't even start till I was like, till I was already like a teen, but like maybe a little bit younger than that. But like he was constantly watching it. Like it was, it was always on. So yeah, I'll pass. How about you? Anything that you're looking to pass on? I'm sorry, you gotta give me a second. My internet is being weird. Okay. Sorry, I don't know why it keeps doing this. Okay, yes. So for me, I have two things. Okay. The first, they're both kind of silly. Well, not that silly. The first one's really silly. Um, I just, uh, someone sent this to me, like Mm -hmm. they emailed, I don't know why someone sent this to me. Someone said to me that like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Laura Logan Paul are going to have a slap boxing fight. That was me. I was the one that said that to you. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, I Why wasn't. Are <laughs> Why are you lying? <laughs> I would have been more annoyed if you said that to me. I would have been more annoyed. I was like, Glenn, this is not important. Why am I seeing Not important. But it's Logan Paul and um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. How are you going to tell me that this is not important? YouTuber boxing is so horrible. It's stupid. It's horrible. Y'all trying to make these rich white men richer for doing dumb things like fighting each other. Like, I I just, I'm over it. I'm over the Paul brothers. I, 
Like, I don't care. I've been with the Paul Brothers since their 2017 rap battle. Like, I... I'm not gonna lie. Like when D'Angelo Wallace made those two videos about the Paul brothers, I was uh, like, okay, maybe it was Logan's a doing better. Maybe, uh, maybe Logan's doing better. But then he starts doing these crypto puppet dump schemes, and he starts fighting people, and it's just like, okay, this is this is just a rich white man doing rich white man things. And now, see, here's it. the thing: Do I agree it's a rich white man doing rich white things? Yes. Am I going to defend Logan Paul in my next sentence? Absolutely not. However. I do have to say this it is becoming more and more common, like not, not, not like the necessarily like all cryptocurrency pump and dump, but like, I hate to say this, I hate to say this, but a lot of our faves are like supporting cryptocurrency pump and dumps and NFTs. Who's like, faves? Who's like, faves? Not like our faves, but like a lot of like the, 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 at least unproblematic white people. Like, not the ones that we hold in high regard, but the ones that we don't have anything actively against. Like, they're all going on things like Jimmy Fallon pushing their new, like, NFT, their new, like, whatever. Listen. I have I have yet to see a white person not. Like, I have yet to see a white person not. The amount of white celebrities that I can even possibly stand now because of NFTs is a negative number. Apparently, Ned from the Try Guys is releasing NFT, and that made me want to break my toes. Exactly. Exactly. Also, Brie Larson. Like, mm-hmm. Brie Larson. After all the time I spent defending you, after all the time I spent so- talking about how Captain Marvel's my favorite movie, I like her YouTube channel. I like her. I think she's funny. I like that she looks like a fortnight. Again, Fortnite. see, look, and something like that. She's a good singer. Okay, like I truly. There was so I'm not many. lying when I say I went to bat for Brie Larson. Like, I and did. look at her NFT. It's so like I said, not defending Logan Paul. I'm just saying he's like every other bitch right now. He's like every other bitch. They're all doing it. It's a bandwagon and they're all jumping on. It's utterly ridiculous and so stupid that Arnold Schwarzenegger it's embarrassing. would want to get into it's a, embarrassing. a ring slapping Logan Paul. Now for the record, why? I would pay money to punch Logan Paul in the face. Like, I realize that's I problematic, but I would pay money to do that. That man's face is built like a brick. You would not make a dent. I don't care. It's getting the anger out. It's getting the aggression out. It's concern, especially if he's voluntarily signed up for it. Then there's no hard feelings. There's no criminal mm. investigation. This is a this is a sport. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I it's it's stupid. There was a stupid headline <laughs> I saw and I was annoyed by it. And another stupid thing. Okay, what's the other one? What's the other one? <laughs> Uncharted the movie is is coming out or it came out with Mark Wahlberg and Tom out. Holland. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, Tom Holland being the new white boy of the month, I'm not against it. I just feel like I don't see what else he can do if he's not playing a 15-year-old boy. Because that man is like 26, but he has the boyish face. Like Him and his brothers all look 16. And that's not his fault. No. It's not his fault that whenever he closes his mouth, he looks like he swallowed a frog. That's not his fault. You know, he's a nice, charming guy down to earth you know i like tom holland i think he's a pretty good actor yeah. i just think that like how i think that video game movies don't work you know i just they're not yeah i would like okay, okay besides besides the original like jumanji what yeah. video game movies have worked oh and spy kids 3d I like the Mortal sorry Kombat one. Oh, the more 
I you're liked entering, it. You're entering I... a gray area there. I won't say that's definitively okay. good, but I won't argue okay. that's bad. It's it's in the gray area. But like video game movies just they aren't good. They yeah. Because video games, they have story, there's complexities, there's hidden tricks, there's like cheats. There's so many things to video games. Exactly. And, like, video I games just... have such an a deep, complex culture mm-hmm. that's impossible to convey okay sorry that's impossible to convey over to the movie world one because some of the fun of like not older but like more in-depth video games like that ones that aren't just like first person shooter but like actually in-depth storyline video games is that in order to complete them or to fully understand them you have to talk to other people outside of the video game like you have online communities dedicated to video games you have like mm-hmm. competitions, you have forums, you have everything. Because so it's not necessarily even that the video game itself is that interesting. It might be, it might be a little bit interesting, but it's the connections that you make talking to people who have played the, that game and the the intricacies that they found, or like the hidden rooms that they discovered that you didn't. That's what makes these video games so popular. Not the not necessarily the actual video game. Yeah. And that's something that can't yeah, really be translated over to movies. Like there's there could be like movie yeah. theories, but like it's not the same. Also, the thing is, is that like we're all like I'm kind of tired of like actors who have very bad past just being lovable. Like you can't ask Mark Wahlberg why he spent 45 days in jail. What happened? You can't ask him that, but we know why. It's, mm, it makes me feel bad. It just, mm-hmm. it, just it leaves me unsettled in my stomach, mm-hmm. you know? Like, am I personally gonna run up on Mark Wahlberg? No, that man is grown and <laughs> built. Yeah, like I, you built know. Built like but, a wall, did it? Yeah, 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 yeah. All in all, like, if you're going to make a movie bad and you know it's gonna be bad, do not, put an actor in it that you know people like because that's not going to help you also this is this is the third time well you could argue with cherry but what was it It was cherry it was uncharted what was the other one that we talked about the fantasy one the planet with no men oh Oh, chaos chaos walking chaos walking there we go this is the third movie in the last year year and a half ish that's been a objectively like everyone could tell it was going to be bad before like it came out before it was really like a trailer was dropped um that's had tom holland in it i mean this with every ounce of love that i can muster but tom holland do you need to fire your agent like who is approving these who's approving these scripts because Mm. you're right now like especially after spider-man no way home you're the golden boy the marvel effect is in full swing Mm. on you you could touch any movie script that you wanted and it would be yours. So what is his agent doing? Yeah, you don't have the Midas touch, man. Like a lot of like Tom Holland and The Rock are seen as actors for like, even if they're giving a bad script, people are going to watch it because these people are in the movie and they're familiar. Mm-hmm. And I think Tom Holland is going with a family friendly route with his career. And I would say uh, learn from Zendaya and leave that behind. Exactly. Not learn from us today exactly because Malcolm Marie was a miss, but like, you know, we can learn from, do you, something learn from Zendaya as in like take some advice. Like she knows. She's yeah. going through it. 
She knows. Also, Tom Holland, I'm not, if you want to drop an album because Zendaya's album that she dropped back all the way back in who knows when still has bangers. Like, I still listen to Butterflies and Replay at least like once every couple of weeks because those were absolute fucking bangers of songs. I can't believe you. <laughs> I can't believe I am you. not going to sit here and lie to our audience and pretend that those songs were not bangers. Zendaya never wants to talk about her music. You know she does not want to talk I'm about her music. I'm pulling it up right now. You know she... I'm pulling you know, it up every, right now. Almost every Dusty Star had to have like one album out. Well, that album came out in 2013. You could have not mm-hmm. told me that that wasn't the best body of work that ever existed. Stop. Stop playing. <laughs> Stop. I actually do like the Euphoria soundtrack though. Like I love Zendaya's voice. Absolutely. She has a great... Does Tom Holland sing? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think that Tom should, um, like, I'm not saying that he should go on Broadway, but what are these Disney? I'm not saying for Tom Holland to go on Broadway, but there's a specific show, like a Broadway show, that does remarkable, no, no, sorry, that's remarkable for taking a man who's famous at one thing, putting them into a completely different genre, and now they're seen differently by the world. That show I'm talking about is um, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And the person I'm talking about is Daniel Radcliffe. You couldn't have convinced anyone who lived or breathed on the earth that Daniel Radcliffe could have done anything other than the Harry Potter until he was on Broadway in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, without actually trying. And then everyone's like, oh wait, he's multifaceted. Oh wait, he he could do more than just Harry Potter. Daniel Radcliffe is going to play Al Weird Al in a biopic. You know that, right? Mm-hmm. And all I'm saying is that it would not have happened without having succeed in business. I appreciate. I'm happy for him that he's doing what he wants. But at the same time, like I think some of the things he wants to do, he shouldn't be doing. I'm mm-hmm. not like that TBS show that he's on, Miracle Workers. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's on mm-hmm. HBO Max. Yeah, yeah, it was a choice. It was a it was a choice. I don't know if it should have been his. You know, I'm not gonna lie. Like the lead actress, she's awesome. She's great. I love her. Steve Buscemi, love him. Um, you know, if you look at Dita Radcliffe's discography since uh, Harry Potter, mm-hmm. Kill Your Darlings is probably like the only movie I really liked since Harry Potter. A lot of the other ones he's been doing are very much like okay, so we're just gonna we're just doing whatever. We're just collecting these checks and. You know, it's, these are choices. <laughs> I don't know if they're choices that I would make or approve or even consider if I was in his position. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So Tom, you know what, honey, do what you want. You're rich, you know, live your life. But at the same time- Fire your agent. Try. At the same time, fire your agent. Like not every movie has to be a success by Rotten Tomatoes. Obviously Rotten Tomatoes is not the- signifier of what's a good movie what's not no but i um, am and i didn't like any of those three movies yeah yeah cherry was the choice it was i would say cherry was the best one because at least it was definitively different yeah now was i don't like one? that type i don't like that type of movie very much because it's like a war type movie and like i feel like those are pretty old and like overdone blah 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 but at least it was different at least it was definitively out of a comfort zone dramatic complete polar shift you know at I least it was chaos, that. I think Chaos Walking could have been better. It could have. Mm-hmm. With the right 
people behind the pen. Exactly. Yeah, and maybe a different director and possibly mm-hmm. a better utilized. Yeah, project. with different, basically <laughs> everything. I really think this movie could have been something. <laughs> it really calls into question. Also calls into question the fact that like Nick Jonas, what is it with him and his acting career? Like I know he can act. He goes eeny me my email. I know he can act, but nothing he has produced proves the fact that I believe he can act. You know, mm-hmm. like I believe it, but I, there's nothing to give me evidence of that belief. So it makes me, I don't want to be shaken, but like, sir, all you give me is a well, cute face we, and good we, vocals. We have proof that he can act, okay? We, the proof is the fact that he can go on tour with his other brothers and not act like he's more famous than all three, than the rest of them could ever hope and pray to be on his own. He can get on stage and act like his brothers would have a career without him. He can get on stage and pretend that every single person in the room did it only come for him. And that takes a lot of acting. It's funny that Joe Jonas was supposed to be like the lead in the Jonas. It really is. It really is. He literally made a band called DNC. And people listen to it because of course he's in it, but like they didn't really like DNC still didn't do better than Nick Jonas's last album. Every one of his albums have been hits. Yeah. Every one of them. It does not miss. Absolutely. Now, when Nick Jonas announces an NFT, I hope you realize, I I don't know who you're talking about. I have never heard of Nick Jonas. It's going to be Kevin. (laughs) Kevin's going to announce the NFT. Wait a second. Or Frankie. I'm looking it up right now. I'm looking it up It's going to be Kevin or it's going to be Frankie. No. One of those Um, Does Nick Jonas... (laughs) The first thing that popped up, it says, have diabetes. Have an NFT. Why are you doing this to me? Stop. Um, it's gonna what be does it look like it? Okay. It doesn't look like I've not seen any articles about Nick Jonas NFT. There are NFTs of Nick Jonas, Interesting. but that's not that's that's different because yeah. that's it's like fan art. Um, but there's no Nick Jonas announcing that he has an NFT. It's so funny to me that like people can lose real money on fake things now. Yeah, like Ken's coin. I could be blowing all our money on WebKids right now. Or Ethereum? 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 Ethereum. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of CoffeeZilla, so that's uh, the only reason mm-hmm, I know anything mm-hmm. about cryptocurrency. Like, don't ask me nothing about that stuff. Don't ask me about no. stocks and bonds. It's a, it's, a, it's a complicated world. It's not that complicated. It's just the MLM world, but for men. You know what I mean? I mean, you are right. You are right. <laughs> well, no, no, here's the thing. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's not complicated as in the ideas are complicated. The ideas are pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's complicated as in it's been purposely made convoluted, you know? It's a barrier to entry. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, I think we've reached the end. I love how we covered everything. <laughs> we say we're going to talk about true crime, and we have talked about everything but true crime. You talked about true crime? <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at some point <laughs> it was there i'll find it yeah uh guys thank you so much for listening really appreciate it uh feel free to check us out on our socials down below in the description and we'll see you guys next week with another episode all right bye guys bye